Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irving Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in Sultry, Savannah, Georgia, this is Obscure Season 4 in American Tragedy. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief, Michael Ian Black. Greetings, one and all. I guess just a quick check-in. I'm back from Janesville, Wisconsin. If you've never been to Janesville, Wisconsin, don't bother. It's a place you don't need to go. I think even people in Janesville, Wisconsin would tell you it's not a place you need to go, but there are people there, and they seem like lovely people. And I had myself a fine time. Returned home yesterday to a warm, cozy home filled with the sounds of a football game being played which I watched, probably the first football game I've watched all season. I didn't particularly care about the outcome of that game, although more or less by random, I chose one team to root for, which ensured that that team would lose. And now the Super Bowl is set between, I don't know, who? The Chiefs and some other team that won that I was watching. The 49ers? Yeah, 49ers. And I have been to one Super Bowl in my lifetime, and I do not need to go to any more Super Bowls. It wasn't that fun. I mean, it was fun for the novelty of the experience and to just see the whole atmosphere of the thing. I mean, it's it's nuts, the, the, the kind of money that's outlaid on, it's not just the game. There's all kinds of events and celebrations and concerts and all sorts of stuff going on around the game in the days leading up to it. So it's almost like a corporate Mardi Gras because that's the thing that I really took away from Super Bowl was exactly, exactly just how corporate it was. I mean, the whole thing was sponsored by various corporations hosting their clients and their VIPs. And then you got all these rich dudes in golf shirts wandering around and drinking and ignoring. Who was it? Carly Simon, I feel like, was playing on a stage somewhere and people were just kind of wandering by. And it was just, it was just weird, you know? And in fact, I was a corporate VIP 
that's why I was there. I was there as the guest of PepsiCo because I was doing the Sierra Mist campaign. And so I got to go and Jim Gaffigan was there and we saw Prince perform at the halftime show. That's how long ago it was. And that was the best part of the whole experience was watching Prince. And it's not worth doing. If you have the opportunity to go to the Super Bowl, I would say it's a lot like having the opportunity to go to Janesville, Wisconsin, although probably with better weather and better food, but not that much better food, to be honest. So yeah, don't go. Stay at home. It's much more comfortable. The view is much better and you can get up and walk around and ignore it if you want. And that's mostly what I did. And I know the Chicago Bears were playing and I think they lost. I don't know who they were playing. I don't know who won. All I know is that Prince performed at the halftime show, and that was fan-fucking-tastic. That really was great. I couldn't tell if it was because it was Prince, and I, I was seeing him live for the only time in my life, and that made it better than seeing it on TV, or if it's just Prince is so much better than everybody else. And I think it's the latter rather than the former, because he really was awesome. It's like 12 minutes, like the best 12 minutes of the entire weekend watching Prince. With an American tragedy, we've entered a whole new, um, what's the word I'm looking for, mise-en-scene, I guess. We've moved locations from the aforementioned Kansas City, who are going to the Super Bowl, to Utica, New York. And nobody from Utica, New York, as far as I know, is going to the Super Bowl, although that's it's probably not a true statement at all. There probably are people from Utica, New York, who will be going to the Super Bowl. I meant that Utica doesn't have a team, and so they won't be, the Utica Utes won't be playing at the Super Bowl. That's really all I meant. And it, it need not be said because everybody knows Utica doesn't have a football team, but I said it and then I dragged it out interminably because that's the sort of thing I do. But we're here in Utica with. The Griffiths clan. This is, I believe, the brother of Clyde's father, Samuel Griffiths. Oh, I guess it's Lycurgus, New York, midway between Utica and Albany. But it is fun to say Utica because it sounds like uterus, and uterus is a fun word. But Samuel Griffiths owns this company. He's got two daughters. He's a member of the social scene along with his his lovely bride. And, they, and so the two daughters could not be more opposite. They are Myra, who is a skulker. And then you got the other one, what's her name? Bella, who's a, who's a socialite and likes to go out and party and have a good time. But she seems like a, a nice gal. You know, she may be young, she may be flighty, but she seems like a decent enough sort, cavorting as she does with members of the lower class, such as bacon manufacturers. So we're already kind of rooting for Bella, but I find my, my sympathies lie more with Myra because I'm just, I'm that type of guy, as I said in the last episode, who is going to pick, you know, the sallow depressive over the flighty party girl, especially at my advanced age. But, but we know what Clyde's going to do. And Mrs. Griffiths is, uh, you know, going to protect her. In fact, that's the last sentence that we read. Mrs. Griffiths, yet as a, so I'll just read the last couple sentences, yet as a contrast to her sister Myra, what a relief, it was only, meaning that Bella has a life, it was only from the point of view of proper surveillance or until she was safely and religiously married that Mrs. Griffiths troubled or even objected to most of Bella's present contacts and yearnings and gaieties she desired to protect her. So, 
Mrs. Griffiths, I mean, uh, Bella is under the protective wing of her mama bird, Mrs. Griffiths, and Clyde is surely on his way. I mean, nothing in the book indicates that Clyde is coming to the Griffiths, but we know there is an intersection waiting to be crossed, and we're not there yet. We're going to probably get a lot more of the Griffiths story before we get to Clyde, so we might as well pick it up. Um, we are in book two, and this is chapter 20 of in American Tragedy. Now, where have you been? She demanded, meaning Mrs. Griffiths, as her daughter burst into the room, throwing down her books and drawing near to the open fire that burned there. Just think, Mama, began Bella, most unconcernedly and almost irrelevantly. Irrelevantly? Irrelevantly. Irrelevant. Don't you mean irreverent? Irrelevantly. Well, maybe not. Maybe they do. Maybe he does mean irrelevant because she's being flighty and just sort of saying gossipy things. The Finchleys are going to give up their place out at Greenwood Lake this coming summer and go up to Twelfth Lake near Pine Point. They're going to build a new bungalow up there, and Sandra says that this time it's going to be right down at the water's edge, not away from it as it is out here. And they're going to have a great big veranda with a hardwood floor and a boathouse big enough for a 30-foot electric launch that Mr. Finchley is going to buy for Stuart. Won't that be wonderful? And she says that if you will let me, that I can come up there for all summer long, or for as long as I like. And Gil, too, if he will. It's just across the lake from the Emery Lodge, you know, in the Eastgate Hotel. And the Fance Place, you know, the Fance of Utica, is just below theirs, near Sharon. Isn't that just wonderful? Won't that be great? I wish you and Dad would make up your minds to build up there now sometime, Mama. It looks to me now as though nearly everybody that's worth anything down here is moving up there. Ugh. I love it. I love it. I love, uh, and it was irrelevant. Let's call it what it is. Irrelevant. Irrelevant to all. Irrelevant to anybody's interests other than Bella's and the rich kids that she is sporting with. But it does sound nice to have an electric launch up there at the lake. Boy, oh boy, wouldn't that be fine? She talked so fast and swung about so, looking now at the open fire burning in the grate, then out of the two high windows that commanded the front lawn and a full view of Wickedgee Avenue. Now, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but I was so, I took a shot at it. How would you say this? W-Y-K-E-A-G-Y. Wickedgee. Sounds like uh, some sort of native name. I like it, and I hope that's the way it's pronounced, because I... I like, I like the way that sounds coming off the tongue. Tongue, wickedgy, wickedgy, and a full view of wickedgy avenue, lit by the electric lights in the winter dusk, that her mother had no opportunity to insert any comment until this was over. However, she managed to observe, yes, well, what about the Anthonys and the Nicholsons and the Taylors? I haven't heard of their leaving Greenwood yet. Oh, I know, not the Anthonys or the Nicholsons or the Taylors. Who expects them to move? They're too old-fashioned. They're not the kind that would move anywhere, are they? No one thinks they are. Just the same, Greenwood isn't like Twelfth Lake. You know that yourself. And all the people that are anybody down on the South Shore are going to be up there for sure. The Cranstons next year, Sandra says. And after that, I bet the Harriets will go too. The Cranstons and the Harriets and the Finchleys and Sandra, commented her mother half amused and half irritated. 
the Cranstons, and you, and Bertine and Sandra. That's all I hear these days. For the Cranstons and the Finchleys, despite a certain amount of local success in connection with this newer and faster set, were, much more than any of the others, the subject of considerable unfavorable comment. They were the people who, having moved the Cranston Wickwire Company from Albany and the Finchley Electric Sweeper from Buffalo, and built large factories on the south bank of the Mohawk River to say nothing of new and grandiose houses in Wickagee Avenue and summer cottages at Greenwood some 20 miles northwest, were setting a rather showy and hence disagreeable pace to all of the wealthy residents of this region. They were given to wearing the smartest clothes, to the latest novelties in cars and entertainments, and constituted a problem to those who with less means considered their position and their equipment about as fixed and interesting and attractive as such things might well be. The Cranstons and the Finchleys were in the main a thorn in the flesh of the remainder of the elite of Lycurgus, too showy and too aggressive. Well, I am uh, titillated here at the local gossip and everything, and, and much amused at the scorn heaped upon the nouveau riche by Mrs. Griffiths. However, I must also say that uh, I share her distaste for showiness and flash and sporty automobiles being replaced every six months in the garage, it calls to mind that fine fellow Gatsby who lives on the north shore of Long Island with his fine house and his parties and his fast set, always out until dawn, bubbling in pools and spilling champagne over everything and everybody, and crashing cars and killing people and whatever. Well, yeah, that's right. There is a girl who gets mowed down in The Great Gatsby, just as there's a girl who gets mowed down in An American Tragedy. The books were published, I think, at roughly the same time. And although we have not finished or even come close to finishing An American Tragedy, I have to say, Great Gatsby, which I really only read for the first time, maybe five or six years ago, is, and I say this as somebody who, as you know, is irreverent, not irrelevant towards the classics, is one of the finest books ever written. By God, that's a good book. Holy shit. Uh, it, and, it's, and it's a slim volume, too, and I think it's sort of making all the same points. Again, we're barely into this book, although if we'd been reading The Great Gatsby, maybe we'd be almost done with it by now. But make, making all the same points that I feel like Dreiser is making about the hollowness of American capitalism as it's emerging in the 20th century, but doing so with far fewer words. Gatsby is a pretty good analog to the kind of person we can imagine Clyde Griffiths becoming or sort of like a Citizen Kane character, you know? A striver. Somebody who just is wrestling demons and so in doing and in doing so rises through the world psychotically. And I, I can easily see Clyde Griffiths becoming that sort of chap. All right. Well, oh, I was gonna go back to the book, but suddenly I find myself oh god damn it. Uh, with my emails coming in. Um,
So we'll, we'll take a break. I know I'm a little scattershot during this recording, and for that I apologize. I'm, I'm, I happen to be recording later in the day than I normally do, and so fatigue has set in. I am stupefied from supper and the single oatmeal raisin chocolate chip cookie I had for dessert. I am stupefied. So let's take a break. I'll try to collect my wits and then we'll return in a moment here on Obscure. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this, central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's home equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Back on Obscure, thinking about Clyde Griffiths as American archetype. And a book will come out in a couple decades, I've mentioned it before, called What Makes Sammy Run, about Sammy Glick, who is a striver from another age. I think he's in the 50s. And how kind of shallow and sad these people are. And of course, we see echoes of, well, not echoes, <laughs> we see uh, thundering reverberations of it today. George Santos is one of these cats. So is Donald Trump. And it, it's primarily, maybe even exclusively, a male conundrum, these strivers. But I'm, I'm thinking about somebody like Martha Stewart and wondering if she doesn't also fit into this category. I'll have to think about that. And it's certainly not worth thinking about now. Let's get back to the book. So, Mrs. Griffiths is complaining about the Cranstons and the Finchleys as being too showy and too aggressive. And she continues, How often have I told you that I don't want you to have so much to do with Bertine or that Letta Harriet or her brother either? They're too forward. They run around and talk and show off too much. And your father feels the same as I do in regard to them. As for Sandra Finchley, if she expects to go with Bertine and you too then you're not going to go with her either much longer. With her either much longer. Besides, I'm not sure that your father approves of your going anywhere without someone to accompany you. You're not old enough yet. And as for your going to Twelfth Lake to the Finchleys, well, unless we all go together, there'll be no going there either. And now Mrs. Griffiths, who leaned more to the manner and tactics of the older, if not less affluent families, stared complainingly at her daughter. How do you stare complainingly? I'm trying to, I'm trying to put a complaining look on my face. And it just looks like I'm holding in a fart. Nevertheless, Bella was no more abashed than she was irritated by this. On the contrary, she knew her mother and knew that she was fond of her. Also, that she was intrigued by her physical charm as well as her assured local social success as much as was her father, who considered her perfection itself and could be swayed by her least as well as her much-practiced smile. So she, he could be swayed by her least smile. She just has to turn up her lips at him, and, and Daddy gives her what she wants, much the way I parent, I have to say. 
Not old enough, not old enough, commented Bella reproachfully. Will you listen? I'll be 18 in July. I'd like to know when you and Papa are going to think I'm old enough to go anywhere without you both. Wherever you two go, I have to go. And wherever I want to go, you two have to go too. Bella censured her mother. <laughs> and after a moment's silence, in which her daughter stood there impatiently, she added, Of course, what else would you have us do? When you are twenty-one or twenty-two, if you are not married by then, it will be time enough to think of going off by yourself. But at your age, you shouldn't be thinking of any such thing. Bella cocked her pretty head, for at the moment the side door downstairs was thrown open, and Gilbert Griffiths, the only son of this family, and who very much in face and build, if not in manner or lack of force, resembled Clyde, his western cousin, entered and ascended. Kind of a clunky sentence, but we get the, we get the drift of it. Gilbert Griffiths looks like Clyde, and he's their son, and he came into the door. And now he's in the house. All right. He was at this time a vigorous, self-centered, and vain youth of 23, who in contrast with his two sisters seemed much sterner and far more practical. Also, probably much more intelligent and aggressive in a business way, a field in which neither of the two girls took the slightest interest. He was brisk in manner and impatient. He considered that his social position was perfectly secure and was utterly scornful of anything but commercial success. Yet despite this, he was really deeply interested in the movements of the local society, of which he considered himself and his family the most important part. Always conscious of the dignity and social standing of his family in this community, he regulated his actions and speech accordingly. Ordinarily, he struck the, the passing observer as rather sharp and arrogant, neither as youthful or as playful as his years might have warranted. Still, he was young, attractive, and interesting. He had a sharp, if not brilliant, tongue in his head, a gift at times for making crisp and cynical remarks. On account of his family and position, he was considered also the most desirable of all the young eligible bachelors in Lycurgus. Nevertheless, he was so much interested in himself that he scarcely found room in his cosmos for a keen and really intelligent understanding of anyone else. All right, so I feel like we get the we get the cut of his jib. He is a um you know, he's he's like any number of young men who take themselves too seriously and anticipate making their fortunes in business. Of course, his fortune has already been secured by his father in the manufacture of shirt collars and such, but who knows what the future holds. Perhaps he will start his own manufacturing emporium or some such thing, or perhaps he will take over his father's business. Whatever he does, though, it is clear, at least to himself, that he will be a success at it. And why not? He's known nothing but success up to this point in his life. It will be curious to see how he gets along with his Western cousin when they finally meet. Hearing him ascend from below and enter his room, which was at the rear of the house next to hers, Bella at once left her mother's room and, coming to the door, called, Oh, Gil, can I come in? Sure. He was whistling briskly 
and already in view of some entertainment somewhere, preparing to change to evening clothes. Where are you going? Nowhere. For dinner. To the wine and afterwards. Oh, Constance, to be sure. No, not Constance, to be sure. Where do you get that stuff? As though I didn't know. Lay off. Is that what you came in here for? No, that isn't what I came in here for. What do you think? The Finchleys are going to build a place up at Twelfth Lake next summer, right on the lake, next to the fence. And Mr. Finchley's going to buy Stuart a 30-foot launch and build a boathouse with a sun parlor right over the water to hold it. Won't that be swell, huh? Don't say swell and don't say huh. Can't you learn to cut out the slang? You talk like a factory girl. Is that all they teach you over at that school? Listen to who's talking about cutting out slang. How about yourself? You set a fine example around here, I notice. Well, I'm five years older than you. Besides, I'm a man. You don't notice Myra using any of that stuff. Oh, Myra. But don't let's talk about that. Only think of that new house they're going to build in the fine time they're going to have up there next summer. Don't you wish we could move up there, too? We could if we wanted to, if Papa and Mama would agree to it. Oh, I don't know that it would be so wonderful, replied her brother, who was really very much interested just the same. There are other places besides Twelfth Lake. Who said there weren't? But not for the people that we know around here. What else do the best people from Albany and Utica go but there now? What else? Wait, hold on a second. What else do the best people from Albany and Utica go but there now? I'd like to know. <laughs> it's a weird, again, a weird sentence, but I, I imagine it's appropriate for the times. Where else, I mean, Really, she's asking... Yeah, where else do the best people from, but where do they go but there now? I'd like to know. It's going to become a regular center, Sandra says, with all the finest houses along the West Shore. Just the same, the Cranstons, the Lamberts, and the Harriets are going to move up there pretty soon, too, Bella added, most definitely and defiantly. That won't leave so many out at Greenwood Lake, nor the very best people either, even if the Anthonys and Nicholsons do stay there. Who says the Cranstons are going up there, asked Gilbert, now very much interested. Well, well. Why, Sandra? Who told her, Bertine? Gee, they're getting gayer and gayer, commented her brother oddly, and a little enviously. Pretty soon, like Curgis, will be too small to hold him. He jerked at a bow tie he was attempting to center, and grimaced oddly as his tight neckband pinched him slightly. For although Gilbert had recently entered into the collar and shirt industry with his father as general supervisor of manufacturing, and with every prospect of managing and controlling the entire business eventually, still, he was jealous of young Grant Cranston. Ooh, that's a, that's a tough, that's kind of a tough name to say, Grant Cranston. Grant Cranston. Grant Cranston. Grant Cranston. A youth of his own age, very appealing and attractive physically, who was really more daring with and more attractive to the girls of the younger set. Cranston seemed to be satisfied that it was possible to combine a certain amount of social pleasure with working for his father, with which Gilbert did not agree. In fact, young Griffiths would have preferred, had it been possible, so to charge young Cranston with looseness, <laughs> only thus far the latter had managed to keep himself well within the bounds of sobriety, and the Cranston Wickwire Company was plainly forging ahead as one of the leading industries of Lycurgus, 
I don't know what wick wire is. Should I look it up? God damn it. We've gone this far in the episode without me, ha- without me having to crank up the research machine, and yet here we are, cranking it up yet again. Wick wire definition. Let's just see what the old research machine says about that. Wick wire. Oh, that's interesting. In the Urban Dictionary, it says, wick wire is the guy that all the other girls wish they could be like. So I guess that's deliberate on Dreischer's part. But but what is Wickwire? Why is it a Wickwire company? God damn it. This is the same problem as the macerating wheel last time. There's nothing to define Wickwire. All right, fine. Uh, anyway, let, let's keep going because I have to... I, I'm gonna, you're going to travel with me because my computer, upon which I record, is about to die, and I've got to plug it in, so I'm exiting the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library. Ow! <laughs> Just <laughs> and walking into a wall. Um, and I'm heading into the, the kitchen here at the Savannah Mansion where my extension cord is plugged. I'm going to plug it in, and we will continue with the book. Hold on one moment. Please hold. Grant Cranston, please hold. All right. There we have it. So if, if the sound has changed noticeably, if there's more echoes or some such thing, I apologize. But that's just the way it's going to be. All right. So he's so Gilbert is jealous of Grant Cranston. And the Wickwire Company is making inroads with all the finer set there and Lycurgus. And, uh, you know. Gilbert's worried about it. Well, he added after a moment, they're spreading out faster than I would if I had their business. They're not the richest people in the world either. Just the same, he was thinking that unlike himself and his parents, the Cranstons were really more daring, if not socially more avid of life. He envied them. And what's more, added Bella interestedly, the Finchleys are about to have a dance floor over the boathouse. And Sandra says that Stuart was hoping that you would come up there and spend a lot of time this summer. Oh, did he, replied Gilbert, a little enviously and sarcastically. You mean he said he was hoping you would come up and spend a lot of time. I'll be working this summer. He didn't say anything of the kind, Smarty. Besides, it wouldn't hurt us any if we did go up there. There's nothing much out at Greenwood any more than that I can see. A lot of old hen parties. Is that so? Mother would like to hear that. And you'll tell her, of course. Oh, no, I won't either. But I don't think we're going to follow the Finchleys or the Cranstons up to Twelfth Lake just yet either. You can go up there if you want, if Dad will let you. Just then the lower door clicked again, and Bella, forgetting her quarrel with her brother, ran down to greet her father. End of chapter 20. And so, when next we pick this up, I guess we're going to meet the great Stuart Griffiths, manufacturer of shirt collars and accessories. And won't that be exciting? Yes, it will. So, let's just sum it up. There is, um, there's a lot of goings on over there at Twelfth Lake. All the fun people are heading up to Twelfth Lake and building big lake houses with dance floors and boat launches and all of the rest of it, and over at Greenwood, where the old money is, uh, things are starting to look a little dull and worn down, you know? Probably probably the Griffiths Summer Cottage isn't nearly as 
grand as the things that the Finchleys and the Cranstons are building, and they probably don't have the dance floor over the boathouse, and they probably don't have the fancy video arcade or the chocolate fountain or the roller rink or the bowling alley. They don't have any of that stuff. Probably just a wood stove and a big cozy couch upon which to sit and do jigsaw puzzles. I mean, for you and me, of advanced age as we are, that probably sounds fine, but to young folks like Myra and Gil Griffiths and Bella, it probably sounds like a bore. So, I'm not sure where all, I have no idea really where all this is going, other than we're sort of painting a picture of this side of the Griffiths family, as distant from Clyde's side as could possibly be imagined. These are people of the flesh, his brother and his family are people of the soul, at least the parents are. The younger generation, of course, already drawn to the more lascivious aspects of life, because that's what young people do, you know? They like to press the flesh. They like to drink the gin. They like to roll, roll hoops through the streets, like vagabonds and vagrants. They like to have adventures. They like to be high-spirited and crash automobiles into little girls. That's what the young people like to do. And who can blame them? Young girls are a menace, and automobiles are the best that they deserve. Anywho, let's leave it there for now. We're setting up a whole new diorama, this branch of the Griffiths family. And it's an exciting time, is it not? Not really, but, you know, sometimes I like to put on the old hard sell. Hard sell. So, we'll leave it there. We'll pick it up again on another Philistine episode of... A Philistine, I guess, is a is a noun. Phil Philistinic? No, I don't know. No, let's just go. Let's just go with it. Philistinic episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu. This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and Robin Lynn. Our theme music is by Craig Wedren. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Michael Ian Black and get even more obscure content at our site, patreon.com slash Michael Ian Black. Thank you for listening.